tonight, we, we looked at, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at what is the story of the gospel. So just kind of the, the overarching narrative of the Bible. What's the storyline of the Bible? Last week, we looked at what's the specific message of the gospel. And tonight, this is the question that we're going to ask. What effect does any of that have for us today? So Jesus died a couple thousand years ago, and now it's 2014. What does the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did, have to say to today? What effect does that have in our life today, if any? And I was, uh, this, this past weekend on Friday, I was at Colorado Christian University and they, all their incoming students, they had, uh, booths set up with different churches. And so I was there, hence the leftover Slim Jims. If you didn't grab one, um, enjoy. You probably haven't had one of those in a long, long time. And you will probably not have another one in a long, long time after tonight, but get your fill while you can. And while I was there, a parent came up to me and the first thing he said is, what's the gospel? Do you know what the gospel is? Very kind of aggressively. And I said, um, yes. What is it? Ten words or less. What's the gospel? And so I told him what the gospel was. And then he kind of corrected me with his version of the gospel and his ten words. And he said, everyone, are you the pastor? Yes. Everyone in your church needs to know the gospel. Everyone needs to know the gospel. And I agreed with him. I didn't necessarily agree with his approach. And I said, I, I agree with you, sir, actually. <laughs> I feel like I'm being accused for something I haven't done, but I didn't say that. Um, I didn't invite him tonight, but I should have. Um, but what I thought was interesting is I agree. Everyone needs to know the gospel and you all need to know the gospel. Especially this man wants you to know that. But while we need to know the gospel, I think not necessarily more than that, but in addition to that, we need to know what effect does the gospel have? See, I think a lot of people know the gospel. A lot of people have heard the gospel, but what effect does the gospel have? He didn't ask me that. He didn't come up to me and say, what effect does the gospel have? 10 words or less. And I would have said, well, don't have 10 words, but I have an hour of words if you'd like to come on Sunday and have a Slim Jim. But he, he didn't uh, accept that. But that's, I think, a very important question is what effect does the gospel have? Not just do we know it, but what effect does the gospel have? And let me just give you the recap really quickly of what the gospel is. If you're wondering even why I'm saying that word. And then we will talk about what effect does the gospel have. And so here's the gospel. The gospel, in ten words, or no, it's going to be more than ten words. The gospel is the good news of Jesus and what he did. That he came to this earth, that God became man, that he came in the flesh, that he came to this earth, that he lived the life that we all should have lived. That the bad news, and we spent some time talking about this last week, the bad news is that we're separated from God. That there's death, both experientially and physically and spiritually, that there's death. But God came into this earth to save us as Jesus. He lived the life we should have lived, and then he went to the cross and died the death we should have died in our place. And then he resurrected to bring us life with him forever. So that's the gospel. That happened 2,000 years ago. And so what effect does it have today? To answer that question, we're going to look at three foundational principles that we see from an encounter that Paul had with Peter. And I'll read you this passage and then I'll explain it to you. And this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Is what effect does the gospel have on our lives today? What effect does it have today? In our emotions, in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts, in our goals, in our plans, in our dreams, and all, what effect does it have today? So let's, let's look at this passage from Paul in the book of Galatians. And this is something that happened in a church. And I'll read this and then I'll explain what went down. When Cephas, that's another name for Peter, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because this is Paul talking. So these are both apostles. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, it's another apostle, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Doesn't sound like much of a party. And the rest of the Jews, sorry, that was too easy. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, so let me explain what happened in this situation. And there's three important principles that we get from this. And then we'll dig in deeper on how it is that the gospel applies to our life today. And what I'll just say is this, if you're not a Christian, if you're exploring Jesus, if you're exploring Christianity, great. And what I hope is you'll hear some things about how the gospel is different from other things that are out there. So you might not understand everything we talk about, but I hope that you at least see, man, that sounds different. That sounds intriguing. That sounds interesting. And so let me tell you what was going on here. Peter Cephas is an apostle and Paul is an apostle. And what happened is before these, this group of people came, Paul, uh, Peter is eating with the Gentiles. Now Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. They were, there was racism between them. And that's a piece of it. There was racism, but even more than that, the Jewish people had been God's people. And now what's happening is after Jesus came, he opened the doors to everybody that it's all God's people. But what happens is there's this long tension between Jews and Gentiles, between Jews and Gentiles, fighting, conflict, racism. Peter is an apostle, Cephas, he's an apostle. He knows that now with Jesus, that's not how it's supposed to be anymore. He knows that. And so he's hanging out with the, Peter's a Jew. He's hanging out with the Gentiles. He's eating with the Gentiles. He's playing basketball with the Gentiles. He's, you know, having slim gyms with the Gentiles. He's hanging out. But then this group of Jewish people come into his church and to their community. And when he sees them come, he gets nervous and he wants to look good in front of them and he cares about what they think. And so instead he starts eating with the Jewish people. So you've got the Jewish people on this side eating and the Gentile people on this side eating. So Peter knows that's not right. Peter knows I'm supposed to be hanging out with Jews and Gentiles. But when this other group of people comes, he is racist. He's a hypocrite. He is worried about what they're going to think of him. And not just him. It says even Barnabas was led astray. And the reason that's so important is because Barnabas's name means son of encouragement. And he's like the nicest guy ever. He's the guy you want to pray for you. He's the guy that asks how your day is going. He texts you. He gives you notes. He writes handwritten notes. I mean, he's just, he loves everybody. He's like Mr. Nice Guy. And Paul says, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So what Paul does is he says, when I saw that that was happening, when I saw that that was going on, I went up to him and I confronted him. And I also said in front of everybody that his conduct, his conduct was not in step with the gospel. Okay, now it's very interesting. And here's where we're going to see three foundational principles that come from this. Here's the first one. The first one is this. The gospel is for all of life. Peter goes up, sorry, Paul goes up to Peter. Paul goes up to Peter and says, not, this is not what he says. He doesn't say, Paul, Peter, goodness gracious. (laughs) Why are their names so similar? Maybe I'll use Cephas. Maybe that's why they changed his name. (laughs) Maybe that's why he used it. Paul goes up to Peter And says, Peter, your conduct is not in step with the gospel. He doesn't say, Peter, you're being a racist. Peter, you're being a hypocrite. Peter, why are you so worried about what these people think of you? Why are you so concerned about what these people think of you? Don't care what other people think. Don't be a racist. That's not what he says. He says, your conduct is is not in step with the gospel. Now it's a very interesting way to rebuke somebody. It's a very interesting way to go about approaching him in the sin that he is doing. It's to say your conduct's not in line with, that's how other translations say it, or in step with the gospel. 
But what that tells us is that the gospel, what Jesus did, who he is, that's not just for getting saved. It's for all of our life. Peter already, I mean, Peter already knew the gospel. He was there. He saw it. He saw Jesus die on the cross. He saw Jesus raised from the dead. He already knew that. What do you mean, Paul? It's not in step with the gospel. I know the gospel. I saw it. I was there. Have you forgotten? But no, the gospel is not just the thing that brings us into the family of God. It's not just this event that we believe. It's something that's important for all of our life. See, many people look at the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did. And if you've been in the church for a while, this is often, I've heard from many people, even some, those in this room, that I never heard the gospel in church growing up. You know why that is? It's because they figure, well, if you're a Christian, you already know the gospel. And now we move on to other things. But here's the thing. Many people look at the gospel as this door that you open. And that gets you in to the family of God. Ah, I believe the gospel. I understand Jesus died. He lived. He rose. Not in that order. He lived. He died. He rose. I get it. That gets me in to the family of God. That gets me in to salvation or however you want to say it. Many people think like that. But what Paul is showing us is that the gospel is not just the door. It's the entire house. It's for all of life. It's not just something that that Peter believed at one point. It's something now later in his life that Paul says, you are not living in line with the gospel. It has something to do with all of life. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. We change by growing in the gospel. The way that we change is by getting the gospel into all of our life. The Christian life is a process of more and more and more walking in step with, in line with the gospel. I mean, think of, think of what Paul said to Peter. What Paul said to Peter was, you are not walking You are not living. The actions that you're doing are not in step with or in line with the gospel. Here's here's what that means. Think of a straight line, okay? And the straight line is the gospel. And that's what all of our life is supposed to line up with, be in step with, the gospel. But our life, parts of it are kind of over here. Parts of it are kind of over here. Parts of it are kind of over here. We're like a crooked line weaving around this straight line. And what Paul says is, Peter, this part of your life is, needs to be pushed back in line with the gospel. And then later, this part needs to be pushed in line with the gospel. Okay, this part needs to be pushed. That's what the Christian life is. It's all of our life being brought in line with the gospel. The way that we change is by growing in the gospel. Again, when Paul corrected Peter, he didn't just say, stop being a racist or stop being a hypocrite or stop caring what people think about you. He said, you need to understand the gospel more. Here's how Colossians says this. Paul says something similar in Colossians. Now listen to this. He says to the Colossian church, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus And of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So they've heard this before. They believe this. They know it. Which has come to you as indeed. So he's talking about the gospel. The gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. What he says is this, you heard the gospel, it came to you, and you know what? The gospel is bearing fruit in the whole world, meaning it's going out and it's still bearing fruit inside of you. That the gospel bears fruit and increases fruit among them. What does that mean? I mean, he's, he's talking about the gospel as if it's a seed that gets planted, 
That's when you hear it, you understand it for the first time, but then it begins to continue to grow. It begins to continue to to produce fruit and increase all over you until there's tons of gospel fruit hanging off of you. That's a weird image, but it's, it's what he says. So what he's saying here is this, the gospel is for all of your life. It keep, once you receive it, it's supposed to keep producing fruit in your life. It's, you're supposed to keep walking in step with it and bringing your life in line with it. It's an entirely different way to relate to God. It's an entirely different way to relate to yourself, an entirely different way to relate to other people. We change by growing in the gospel. That is what Paul told Peter. You need to bring your life in line with the gospel. He didn't say you need to work on hypocrisy. You need to work on racism. He didn't say those things were okay, but he said the the way you will change is by bringing your life in line with the gospel. Third thing that we see from this, our main problem in life as Christians, if you're a Christian, the main problem that you have in life is not getting the gospel. That's the main problem. I mean, think of whatever problems you have, whatever struggles or sins or battles that you wrestle with, habits that you want to stop, things, places that you feel stuck in, ways that you have desired to grow and haven't grown, ways you've wanted to change and haven't changed. The main problem we have is not getting the gospel. Paul did not tell Peter, man, we need to do a hypocrisy class You seriously have a racism issue and you need to go through a six-week diversity training program. He did not say that you are scared of other people and what they think of you. I've got some curriculum for you to work on. He said you need to understand the gospel. See, the main problem that we have in our lives, if you're a Christian, is that you do not get the gospel. Anything in your life, Any sin in your life, any issue in your life, any struggle in your life is stemming from not getting the gospel. Now that's very different from just issue specific things. It's a very different approach that Paul took with Peter. Any problem we have is a lack of either receiving the gospel in the first place understanding it or knowing how to use it, how to apply it, how to apply it to racism, how to apply it to hypocrisy, how to apply it to concerns of what other people think of you. That's what we need to do. That's how we need to grow. Our main problem is not getting the gospel. It's that we walk out of line with, out of step with, the gospel. The gospel is the straight line and we're crooked on parts of our life. This is very, very important because most of us would confess, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you would confess, I know the gospel. Ten words, I got it. And we know intellectually the gospel. You would confess the gospel, you would know intellectually the gospel, but is your life in line with the gospel? Is your life in step with the gospel? Do you know how the gospel applies to all of your life, to every part of your life? That's the main problem that we have. That's the main problem that we have. So what does this mean then for how we actually go about change? How, what does it mean for how we actually grow? Those three principles that the gospel is for all of our life, that our main problem is not getting the gospel and that the way we grow is through the gospel, how does all of that come together in order for us to actually change? And here's what I'm going to tell you just before we get into it. I'm going to give you the answer, but it's kind of going to be a taster because I I mean, I'm going to teach a six-week class on this. And so there's a lot, because this is so different from how we normally think, 
versus, hey, work on racism, work on hypocrisy, work on... I'm teaching a six-week class on it to help us really wrap our minds around how do we get the gospel, how do we be like Paul to Peter to help people, to help one another walk in step with the gospel. How do we do that? So tonight, you'll get the taster version, but there's a six-week version if it whets your appetite. Okay? Tonight's the Slim Jim version, and then we'll have a steak and potatoes version. Okay? I'm going to try and figure out how many ways I can work Slim Jim into the sermon. (laughs) It's my new goal for tonight. Okay, so when we talk about change, here's what we're going to start with. There's a lot of ways that people suggest that we change. There's a lot of problematic ways to change. If you want to change something in your life, I'm going to give you the three most common ways that are suggested to do that that are very problematic. They don't work. And I want you to think about how have you motivated yourself with these ways? How have you motivated others with these ways to change? And how have you been motivated by others to change in these ways? So how does the gospel affect our life? How do we change? First, we're going to start with problematic ways, the ways that are often suggested. And here's the first one, fear. Fear. So at the very simplest level, think about children. Not because they're scary, but think about children. And here is how often children are motivated. Santa Claus, ever heard of him? couple nods. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. <laughs> okay, here's, here's how we motivate children with Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You want coal? You want to be on the naughty list? I used to have this little snow globe. I would put on my little brother's shelf be like, Santa sees you. I mean, that's how, I mean, we're taught that from a very young age and you think, oh, well, that's just kids. And well, now there's the elf on the shelf. I don't know if you've heard of that. Same whole thing. It's this elf is watching you, which is very creepy and sounds predatorial and it motivates. Be good because if you don't, there's consequences. Be good. Change your bad. Hey, little kid, change your bad behavior because if you don't, Santa's going to get you. You're going to go in his red sack and you're never coming back. There's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences. And so that's not just with children, though. We do that with God. God's going to get you. We do that with, let me give you a couple examples, okay? Um, One of the ways that this is often used is with um, abstinence. So not having sex before you're married. And I used to, in high, when I was in high school, I would go around to middle schools with this program and I would teach kids these kinds of things, which is don't have sex before you're married. You know why? Going to get an STD, going to get pregnant. And by the way, your boyfriend's probably going to dump you anyway. Do you want to be dumped pregnant and have an STD? No, then don't have sex, dummy. I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, that's largely what the curriculum was. And we would hand out pamphlets about STDs and all this stuff. And it was horrible. But that's a way to motivate. It's to say there's going to be consequences. There's going to be problems. There's going to be trouble. So be good. God will get you. Other people will get you. You will experience consequences. Whatever it is. Or with work. Hey, you better work hard. Do a good job at your office. Why? Well, if you don't, you might get fired. If you don't, you won't get the promotion. If you don't, uh, you will be a bad witness and a bad example. So be good. Because if you don't, there will be consequences. If you don't, things will go bad. Fear. It's a very, here's the thing. It works, right? Little kids shudder and scream and start being good when Santa sees them. We do things and line up our behavior. I mean, here's a really simple way. You ever see those, if you're new to Colorado, you might not know about these yet, but you see those vans and they zap you and they, then you get a ticket and it comes in the mail. I mean, very efficient system if you're speeding. So anytime I see a van now, I start braking. That's fear works. It can conform our behavior. 
So all of these that I'll tell you three problematic ways to change have, have some element to truth to it, by the way. Bad things can happen. That's the first way that we motivate people. Problematic fear. Second is image. We motivate people to change with image, which is to say this. A lot of times when I talk with people and they're struggling with something, a lot of times what they say is something like this. Um, that's not the kind of person I want to be. They say, this is not who I want to be. Or they say, this is not who I am. This is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. I can't believe I did that. So I need to change. I can't believe that I'm like that. I need to change. Parents often motivate their children this way and say things like, Davises don't lie. They might, they, they probably didn't say that to you, but they, otherwise you would have said, okay, so what? My, my last name is Davis. Um, Davises don't lie. Or Davises are loyal to their family. Or Davises treat one another well or whatever. That there's this image way to motivate people. This is who you are. You're a Davis. I raised you better than that. That's a way to motivate people is with image. To say, I mean, so I remember one time I was talking to this guy and he had uh, molested his sister uh, probably seven years prior. And he was just kind of coming to terms with this. He was just starting to deal with it. He was just confessing it to others. And he was sitting in my office crying and just weeping. And I said, what's going on? What's all the emotions? And he said, I just can't believe I can't believe I did that because that's not who I am. I can't believe that I'm like that. I'm just, I'm, that's not me. That's not who I am. And he was grieved by what he had done, but not because he had sinned against his sister, not because he had sinned against God, but because he couldn't believe that his self-image was crumbling in his eyes and in the eyes of others. He had hid it for so long. He had pushed it aside for so long that now it was coming to the surface and he was faced with, this is who you are. And that's what broke his heart. Not that he had sinned, not that he had done something grievous, but that it was breaking his self-image. And the other people that he had told that to, it was breaking their self-image of him as a good person. You see, we motivate people, we motivate ourselves with Don't you want to be, look, you don't want to be like those liars. You don't want to be like those cheaters. You don't want to be like those people over there. That's not who you want to be like. You're better than that. Look, Paul could have come to Peter and said this. Don't be a racist. You're better than that. You're better than this, Peter. Paul could have come to Peter and said, apostles don't do that. Apostles, that's not what we do. We're apostles, Peter. Come on. And you know what? It could have worked. It could have worked in the moment. So image is one of the ways we motivate people. Third, one of the problematic ways that we motivate to change is with our feelings. And this goes both ways. Uh, Sometimes when I talk to folks that I I think about it, it, this works with everything, but um, it expresses itself rather in everything. But sometimes the way I see it is guys that are looking at pornography and they'll say something like this. I need to stop. I need to quit. Why? Because I hate the way it makes me feel. I feel dirty. I feel disgusting. I feel bad. So you want to change because it feels bad. What if it stops feeling bad? Or sometimes think about it on the opposite direction. I love serving the poor. I love helping people. I love doing good. Why? Because it feels so good. So we stop doing bad and we stop doing, and we start doing right because it feels good. Now, again, there's an element to truth to all these things. There will be consequences often when we sin. It often does produce bad feelings. Doing the right things often do produce good feelings. There's there's elements of truth to this, but here's the deal. These do not work in the long run. Because the medicine that you're being given itself is poison. I had an infection 
a couple years ago. Do you guys have a picture of that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I had an infection a couple years ago and um, had to lighten it a little bit here. Um, it was created by Slim Jim. No, I had a... <laughs> That's probably true. I had an infection a couple years ago and I was given antibiotics and I was allergic to them. I got sick from them. Went back to the doctor, said, these are making me sick. Said, okay, I'm sorry. Here you go. Another antibiotic. Got sick from that. Went in for a third one. Took that. Wasn't feeling sick, but one of the side effects was paranoia. And so then I was like starting to feel like, am I sick? Wait, so what if just asking the question, does that mean I'm sick? But here's the thing. The very medicine that I was being given was poison for my body. And the medicine that we give of fear, image, feelings, it's poison. And here's why. Here's two main reasons. I think there's other reasons, but here's two reasons. And if, and if you've tried to change using those methods and you feel stuck and it's not working, it's because you're taking poison. And if you've tried to help others using those things and it's not working, it's because you're giving them poison. Here's two main reasons why that's the case. Here's the first reason. It's self-centered. It's very self-centered, which is the problem to begin with. Let's go back to Peter. If Paul would have told him, Peter, you're better than that. Peter, don't be racist. Eat with the Jew, eat with the Gentiles. You're better than that. That would be going, yeah, I am better than that. I am. And it's cultivating a heart of self-centeredness of, yeah, I'm, I am better than that. I am an apostle. Apostles don't do that. It's cultivating, watch out for yourself. So consequences, look out for yourself. Watch out for yourself. Don't feel bad, feel good. It's cultivating a self-centeredness, but that's the problem to begin with. Peter's problem to begin with was that he cared about what other people thought of him, caring about himself. His problem to begin with was he cared more about his race than others, had an elevated view of his race, an elevated view of self. See, the problem to begin with is self-centeredness. And so if we try to fix self-centeredness with more self-centeredness, it just cultivates a deeper heart of self-centeredness. It might work in the small term. It might work in that moment. But over the long run, it's just cultivating more and more. Okay, focus on myself. Take care of myself. Protect myself. Think well of myself. That's not what Paul gave to Peter. He didn't fight against his racism by telling him you're better than that or you can do it or watch out, God's going to get you or he didn't say, hey, focus on yourself to get him out of his self-centeredness. So the main prop, one of the main problems with those different ways to change is that they are using self-centeredness against self-centeredness. Second reason is this. There's no roots. It's not dealing with the roots. It's not dealing with the root issues. When we motivate people, if you motivate a little child and say, if you don't stop being bad, Santa's going to get you. That doesn't, that deals with the behavior in the moment, but it doesn't deal with the roots. It doesn't deal with his heart. A great analogy for this is a tree and fruit. And here's what Jesus says about this. Jesus says this, he says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruits, fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks and elsewhere his life lives here's what this is saying i'll show you we've got a tree here what this is saying is this if you have got a tree if this is your life and you notice you know what it's missing good things in it 
It's missing patience. It's missing. It's missing love. It's missing kindness. It's missing good things. And I want to change. Then we just kind of say, okay, well, how do we do this here? Let's just, we'll add patience to the tree. There we go. Doesn't that look nice and pretty? Or we say, or we say, you know what? Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Peter and I've been struggling with racism. So I need to uh, be inclusive and I'm going to add inclusiveness to my life. And there we go. We're all set. I'm inclusive and I'm patient and I'm kind. And, and we, I mean, we can just keep loading it up with all these apples, right? And here's the problem. Either by trying to add good fruit to a tree or here's, here's the other thing. We look and we go, I'm a racist. Let's get rid of the, the racist apple. Um, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. Let's get rid of the, I'm trying to be a little more careful with this one. Let's get rid of the hypocrite apple. There we go. We dealt with it, right? We dealt with the hypocrisy and we dealt with the bad fruit. The bad fruit is gone. So I'm good now. No, because what Jesus says is that the roots have not been dealt with. The roots have not been dealt with. If this tree is growing all sorts of bad fruit and you just try to pick off the fruit, what's going to happen? More bad fruit's going to come. Or if the tree is just absent of good fruit and so you just try to add good fruit to it, by duct taping it there, the roots have not been dealt with. Jesus says a good tree at the roots will produce good fruit. And a bad tree at the roots will produce bad fruit. And he says that that's our life. Our life comes out of the heart. It comes out of what we treasure. That the roots have to get dealt with. Not just this fruit And this is when we try to deal with all sorts of different behaviors. When we try to say, stop that behavior. Start this behavior. Stop this one. Start this one. Stop that one. But no one's getting to the roots. And that's what Jesus says often the problem is. That we keep going with fruit, 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 fruit. But the way to get good fruit is to have good roots. The way to get rid of bad fruit is to cut down the bad tree and to plant a new one. Not to keep trying to put fruit on the tree. It stops behavior, but it doesn't ever change the heart. And so we keep coming back to the same things over and over and over again. I thought I got rid of that bad fruit. I thought it was gone. Yeah, you plucked out the bad fruit, but it's a bad tree. So more bad fruit's going to come. I thought I, I thought I added this good fruit to my life. Yeah, you did for a moment, but you never dealt with the roots. That's the cycle often we go through over and over and over again. So these are the problematic ways to change. How do we change through the gospel? How do we change through the gospel? Because the gospel changes us in a very different way. The gospel deals with the roots. The gospel deals with, as Jesus said, the heart. The gospel doesn't just tell us what to do, but it gives us the power to actually do it because we're an entirely different tree when the gospel affects the roots. It doesn't just tell us what to do, but gives us the power to do it. And I'll explain this, but what I want you to understand is this. If, if in our life, the main problem is our behaviors, then we should work ferociously to end the behaviors. But if the main problem is what Jesus said, it's the heart. It's what we treasure. And I don't know if you saw that, but Jesus equated our hearts and the good treasure or the bad treasure. So our heart has to do with what we treasure If the main problem is behaviors, let's put all of our energy into stopping the behaviors and to starting new ones. But if the main problem is the heart, if the main problem is what do I treasure, then that has to be dealt with. Our heart needs something. Our treasure needs something. Jesus says that it is our love, our affection, our desire, our motivations our treasure, what we treasure, what we value, what we love, that's what needs to change. 
the roots of our life. The whole system has to change. Not just the behaviors. I love how a man named John Bunyan, an old pastor, he wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress, if you've ever heard of that. Here's what he said. That's what he looked like. He was a hipster. And he said, run, John, run. The law, referring to the, the, the Old Testament and the commands in the Bible. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. It tells us what to do, but doesn't give us feet or hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. I have a suspicion someone from Red Bull copied this. See, the gospel tells us what to do. But it also gives us the power to do it. This is what is different about the gospel. It doesn't just change our behavior. It doesn't just give us rules. It shows us what to do. Paul tells Peter, what you're doing is wrong. And the way to change it is through the gospel. The gospel helps us know what to do, but it also gives us the power to do it because it changes our hearts. Here's another analogy that others have used that I think is helpful. If you have a piece of metal, okay, and you're holding a piece of metal, and I was thinking about doing this, but this would have been way more complicated than duct tape and fake apples. But if you have a piece of metal and you want to change it, so you grab it and you just bend it, and then you let go, what happens? It's going to snap back into place. And that's often what we do. We try to change our lives, change our lives, change our lives, change our lives. And over time, I mean, eventually it's just going to snap back into place because the metal itself has not changed. Or if we try to grab it, it might, if you're strong enough, snap. And some of you, that's happened in your life. You've tried to change, 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 tried so hard that your life just kind of fell apart. So how does a piece of metal actually change? You apply heat to it. So if I would have done this, I would have had a torch and, you know, lit up the piece of metal. It would have been great. And that's how it changes, through heat. That's how the gospel works. The gospel changes us permanently because it changes us with power. It's not just trying to reshape something. It actually changes the internal construction of our hearts. How does it do that? How does the, I'm telling you that the gospel is what changes us, that the gospel tells us what to do, but it also gives us the actual power to do it. It changes our desires so that we want to do something, but how does that happen? How does it get into our hearts? Well, here's how the gospel gives us the power to change, to obey God, to not be racist, to not be hypocrites, to not fear what other people think. Here's how the gospel does that. It's a man named Thomas Chalmers that said, it is the only way we change is through the expulsive power of a new affection, which is this. Our hearts treasure things. They love things. Like Jesus says, the only way that that changes is not by saying, stop loving things, stop treasuring things. The only way it changes is by a new, a greater treasure, a greater love, a greater affection coming in and forcing that one out. So it's the only way that we actually change at the roots, the roots of our heart, is by loving God, treasuring God, so that then behaviors flow out of that. But how does that happen? Here's how the Bible tells us that happens. It's through the gospel. In 1 John, here's what John says. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love, a couple of verses later, we love because he first loved us. Here's what he says. Here's what love is. Love is the gospel. It's God sending Jesus. Propitiation means he absorbed all the wrath that we deserve. He absorbed every bit of death and wrath that we deserve on the cross. Jesus took all of that on himself. He says, that's love. The gospel is where we see God's expression of love. And then we can love him because he first loved us. 
So here's, here's the whole thing. Let me put it together. We change by understanding the gospel. Our hearts love God by seeing his love for us in the gospel. Do you ever wonder if God loves you? Look at the cross. See, back to Peter and Paul. Why was what he was doing out of step with the gospel, out of line with the gospel? How would the gospel have changed that heart in him? Peter in that moment loved something. He treasured something. He treasured what other people thought of him. He treasured his reputation among the Jews. He treasured his own race. The gospel would have changed him because he would have remembered. Do you remember how God brought you into his family when you didn't deserve it? Do you remember how much love and grace God gave you on the cross? Peter, remember when you denied Jesus and yet he brought you in? Remember how much he loves you, Peter? Remember how on the cross he forgave you, Peter? That begins to then melt his heart. To change his heart, to love God. To see how much God has loved him creates in him a heart that loves God which then leads to not a love of self that tries to protect self, but a love of other people, which would have led to not being a hypocrite, not being a racist, not fearing what they thought of him. It changed him from the inside out. Let me give you a couple examples of how the Bible shows us this. In Titus... Paul says this, he writes Titus this letter and says, for the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God, the gospel, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And here's what it does. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. And then he says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why? And here's, he's giving you an example of how the grace of God trains us in this way. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Okay, mouthful, but here's what he's saying. The gospel helps you be courteous towards people. The gospel helps you not to quarrel, to be gentle, to not speak evil, to do good works, to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey the law. And that's a lot. He says, remember what God did for you? Remember how when you were nothing special? Remember when we were sinners? Remember when we were slaves to our passions? Remember when we did all this stuff and God in his grace and mercy said, I love you and I'm saving you? Remember that? If you let that grace train your heart, you're courteous. Because how could you not be? You don't have to speak evil of anyone because the one that could have spoken evil against you instead gave you grace. And all of this, this is how the gospel trains our hearts. Let me give you one more example. I was talking to somebody this week that has been starting to get the gospel deeper and deeper in her heart. And she said, you know what? As I've been getting the gospel deeper and deeper in my heart without even thinking about it, I'm wanting to share the gospel talk to other people, same thing. As I get the gospel deeper and deeper into my heart without even thinking about it, I want to tell other people about it. See, what we could say is, okay, evangelism, telling other people about Jesus, it's something you should do, so let's tack evangelism on. And there it goes. <laughs> Need more duct tape. Try harder. Get it on there. But the way for it to actually happen is if the roots are changed, if the treasure is changed, 
You want to be courteous? You want to speak evil? I mean, what, what of these do you struggle with? This is a pretty comprehensive list. Are you argumentative? Are you kind of rude? Do you break the law? You want to change? You want to tell people about Jesus more? You want to change? You want your marriage to change? You want your job to change? You want to change? Get the gospel in your heart. Go with the roots. Let the grace of God train you. Understand more what he did for you. See how great and beautiful and gracious what he did for you was until that fills your heart with a love for him that then leads to a love for others. That's how we change. That's it. So, is that happening for you? Are you getting the gospel deeper in your life? Is all of your life affected by the gospel or is it just that first step? So are, is your life more and more coming in line with the gospel? The problems that you have in your life, are you fighting them with the gospel? Jesus lived for us. He died for us. He resurrected for us to bring us into relationship with himself, to forgive us of our sins. That is what changes us. The more we get that, the more we understand that. And when we take communion, that's what we remember. And we do that every week so that it's a time, a reminder to go, man, the gospel's for every week. The gospel's for every single day. It's for every single week that his body was broken for us and his blood shed for us. That affects everything. If you're not a Christian, this is what God wants for you, to know him, to know the good news. And if you are a Christian, guess what? This is what God wants for you, to know the good news and have that transform every piece of your life. I'll pray for us and then we will sing to our good God who has brought us good news. Not just something that happened a couple thousand years ago, but something that's just as relevant for today. Father, thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you that you have given us grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you that you love us with a love that we do not deserve. Got to pray for every person in this room. Got to pray for my own heart that that we would all have our lives more in step with the gospel, what you've done. I know that everybody in this room deals with different things. Maybe it's the same things that, that Peter dealt with. Maybe it's racism and hypocrisy and caring about what other people think of us more than we should. And, and maybe it's some of the things that Paul listed out of ungodliness and not being courteous and disobeying the law. And I, I don't know, but I know everybody deals with things in this room. And God, I pray that you would help them to see the beauty of the gospel in a deeper way, to taste the gospel in a deeper way. And Lord, I pray for people in this room too that maybe have thought that they wouldn't, that you would encourage them to dig deeper in this, in particular through taking the class, that this would become something that they desire insatiably to know how to work the gospel in their life and to help others do the same. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.